truckers' protest continues in Ottawa and in Alberta. The Conservatives charged James Cumming with putting together a report into what went wrong during the last federal election campaign and what's going on over at Spotify. As you know, Joe Rogan has a podcast and now some senior artists are coming out and saying they don't want to be part of Spotify if Joe is. So we saw numerous protests across the country this weekend in conjunction with what was happening in Ottawa. Lots down at the legislature in Edmonton, also downtown Calgary saw all kinds of activity this weekend. And of course, the border crossing at Coots, heading into Montana, a scene of activity until it wasn't anymore. And now it is complete and total gridlock. Liam Nixon from Global Lethbridge was down there this weekend and saw firsthand what the situation was. Liam, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Good morning, Shay. So you were down in uh, in Coots. You were at the border crossing. Was it yesterday or Saturday or both days? That would have been Saturday. So we got there. Um, I actually met the very kind of first uh, front of the first convoy leaving Lethbridge at about quarter to seven. Um, and so uh, they were obviously going a, a bit of a crawling speed. So yeah. I got down there about uh, probably about 90 minutes before the first uh, trucks and vehicles started rolling in on Saturday. So now as far, I'm trying to determine exactly what the situation is. Is it just the, the fact that there's so much traffic and, and they're not moving? That, or, is, or is it physically, have trucks been parked across the road? Like what is the situation there? Is it an actual blockade or is it just a tie up? What's going on? Well, it certainly depends on who you listen to. So we are going to go with what the RCMP are saying okay. because um, they have been updating exactly what's been happening. So, And if you look at some of the uh, aerial footage that we were able to capture um, yesterday, it is indeed a blockade. Um, there are a few trucks that are parked um, across the highway and making it so that vehicles cannot get past. I would say um, it's about two or 300 meters before you get to the actual border crossing itself. It's kind of the last spot on the highway where you can turn around um, without, because once you get closer to the border, it gets a lot more narrow. So getting mm-hmm. semi-trucks to turn around uh, closer to the border is very difficult. So, But if you look at the uh, what the RCMP are saying multiple times, and then from the aerial footage, it is a blockade. There, there's no way to get past it. What about emergency vehicles? I know that the mayor of Coots was really concerned about that. There was a lot of discussion about that earlier in the weekend, and I heard some reports that they had come up with a way for that to happen. What's the situation there? Yeah, they have. According to RCMP, well, we'll start with Mayor Jim Willett from Coots. I was speaking with him uh, in the days leading up to Saturday and then came across him actually walking his dog, as you will, in a village um, <laughs> when I got there Saturday morning. And uh, one of the first things that he voiced concern for was, A, the residents of the village not really knowing what was going to happen in the coming hours, and then exactly that, access uh, both to um, for emergency vehicles and just access to the village off the highway at right. all. Um, and that was one of the things he mentioned now, in one of their updates on Saturday, RCMP did say, and I confirmed with them when they said that um, emergency services vehicles would not be able to access the village the way that the blockade was shaping up. Now, they've since said that they have brought an ambulance in, but it had to take the back roads. So there is access, but as you can appreciate, there is at least, the very least, going to be a significant delay. And we have some inclement weather rolling through southern Alberta right now. So when you've got an ambulance or a fire truck trying to respond to an emergency, I'm sure anyone can appreciate the time difference between being able to take a main highway that they can't do in that area right now or having to take back roads that are not paved and then you add the weather on top, they're at the very least going to be significantly delayed if something happens. For how long, Liam? Do you have any, Does anybody know, like, what do the truckers want? What's the RCMP plan? When might we see some resolution here? 
You know, what they want has certainly seemed to evolve, because I will say, um, in the early stages of this, um, there, there's a publicly available um, uh, app where they were all jumping onto the people that were kind of dubbing themselves the organizers, because convoys came from a few different areas. And at the beginning, they were saying very publicly on there, do not block traffic. We need to keep access to the village open. We need to keep one lane of traffic open, so do not be blocking it. And if you see anyone starting to do that, we need to tell them to knock it off. And then, obviously, there were other people that came a little bit later in the day who had a very different plan. So um, when you see the releases from RCMP, and I was in contact with RCMP uh, within the last hour here, there is no timeline, either hmm. from the people at the blockade or the RCMP. Um, they're saying that they continue to try to engage with all stakeholders, that they hope there'll be a peaceful resolution. Uh, we are hearing that there are more RCMP officers um, there than there were at the beginning. You know, and I think an interesting part that the RCMP put out um, last night was that they said they're working with truck drivers who were there who maybe went to show support and didn't realize there was going to be a blockade and that are now trying to disengage and leave the event. But RCMP are saying right now that there are truckers there that no longer want to be there, but they can't get out and they do have product in their trucks. And no trucks are getting across the border at all. No traffic either direction at Coots right now, right? Yeah, there, are, there remains traffic advisories in place, both heading uh, south to Montana and then on the Montana side heading north here to Alberta as well, simply because, you know, there is a stretch of about two or 300 meters between the blockade and the border that is clear, but there's a reason it's clear is because nobody can access it right now. Okay, uh, Liam, thank you so much for the update. Really appreciate your time today. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very much. That's Liam Nixon with Global Lethbridge. And as you heard, he was down at the Coots border crossing this weekend, uh, speaking with the mayor, speaking with RCMP, speaking with the truckers, uh, boots on the ground, as they say. And as you heard, we don't know. We don't know what the situation is here. And I know you're all yelling about Bill 1. Bill 1, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Remember Bill 1? Um, when we had blockades of rail lines and things like that done by some indigenous groups, and then Premier Kenny came in and with the Essential Infrastructure Act, saying protests cannot impede essential infrastructure. The border crossing is essential infrastructure. This is what Bill 1 was designed for. How long will this be able to continue? The Premier um, put out a statement about all of this, saying... Um, as I said last week, Canadians have a democratic right to engage in lawful protests. I urge those involved in this truck convoy protest to do so as safely as possible and not create road hazards, which could lead to accidents or unsafe conditions for other drivers. If participants in this convoy cross the line and break the law, I expect police to take action. He said the current blockade of Highway 4 at the Coots border crossing violates the Alberta Traffic Safety Act. It is causing significant inconvenience for lawful motorists and could dangerously impede the movement of emergency service vehicles. This blockade must end immediately. Alberta's Critical Infrastructure Defense Act gives police and prosecution, prosecutors additional penalties to levy as a tool to address blockades of highways and other infrastructure when and where they deem appropriate. You remember after the federal election, uh, the Conservative Party um, came up with a plan. They were going to do a review of what went wrong. What went wrong for the Conservatives in the last election? And um, the person charged with coming up with that report was um, former Edmonton MP James Cumming. Well, he's completed his report, presented it to caucus, and uh, has agreed to join us today and let us know what uh, what the findings were. So let's get to that. James, thanks so much for your time today. appreciate you joining us. 
Hey, it's good to hear from you, Shay. Pleasure to be on your show again. Yeah, it's always great to chat. Um, so, this report, you were sort of given the task of going through the campaign and everything else and finding out what went wrong for the Conservatives. Um, is there one thing overriding? Is there one thing that stands out as you can say, okay, this is the reason things didn't go as well as we'd hoped? Well, uh, I don't think there's one thing, Shay, and uh, it was a pretty comprehensive report, and yeah. there's... And we looked at um, what went wrong, but we also looked at what went right. So there's a, when you do these uh, analysis, you have, and always with continuous improvement, you, you tend to look at what went wrong because that's where you want to make the most improvement. But you should also look at the things that went right. And so there's, a, there's no one silver bullet here that uh, I would say uh, in the report because we looked at both the party structure, campaign structure, uh, the back end of campaigns, looked at the leaders' performance, uh, looked at the performance of caucus, and all those collectives together are are what make really strong cam- campaigns work or, or not work. And and so we looked at it in a, a much broader cross-section um, of people involved with the campaign. Yeah, I, I was wondering, I mean, it turned around pretty quickly. Relatively speaking, a lot of these kind of reports you sometimes expect months and years, but uh, much quicker than that. But how did you go about sort of examining the question that you were asked to answer? I mean, how did you go about getting the info? Well, what we did was we reached out to all the campaigns, uh, campaign managers, candidates, uh, caucus members, uh, and interested parties throughout Canada. So we interviewed over 400 or interviewed or had submissions of over 400 people that all participated in the review. And what we, when we took that data, we looked at that, compared it with actually what the data says, and then tried to look for trend lines and, and uh, trends that were common to the groups that were participating. So we, we, we did our very best to try and look at, you know, what, what did the, the group think collectively rather than, you know, there'll be, there'll be, as always in these things, you'll get some people feel strongly one way and strongly another way. And mm-hmm. we tried to see what was sort of the consensus opinion. Um, going through some of the things that have been um, reported by other outlets and, uh, you know, you would have to speculate, there's certainly topics that you looked at. Um, we know Aaron O'Toole's leadership has been kicked around and there's some people within the party that say that was the big problem and others say, no, it wasn't. Um, what did you find when it took a look at um, Aaron O'Toole's leadership? Well, I, I think Aaron has spoken about where, uh, to the report, the report was handed to caucus and to National Council in confidence. Uh, but I can speak about uh, some of the things that he's spoken about since it's been delivered. And there was a concern that with the campaign, it saw a nice surge towards the first couple weeks of the campaign and was doing fairly well, yeah. and then ran into a bunch of wedge issues. And then from specifically to the leader's performance, there was a feeling that people had finally started to get to know him. But then towards the tail end, uh, he didn't seem to be himself. And, and the term that's being used in the, in the media and the leaders used is overcoached. Um, campaigns are tough. They're, you know, they're, you're grinding it out. And, and I can't speak for anybody else other than myself. But when you get to the tail end of the campaign, you're, you're pretty exhausted and, uh, uh, that was a concern that he didn't seem to be uh, speaking as as he did in the first half of the campaign. Um, what about the way he conducted the campaign? I know he he put this on his shoulders a lot of this thing. You know, if things went wrong, it's because of me. 
What about the fact that, I mean, the, the Conservatives, and it wasn't, I'm sure, his decision all in all, uh, or entirely, um, to conduct largely a virtual campaign. He did a lot of work from that studio that he had built. Was that a, de- a detriment? Well, he did do some tour, and he did uh, use utilize the studio, and I, I would tell you that people were concerned that there wasn't enough um, uh, outreach through tour yeah. rather than than in the studio. I had one person uh, uh, comment, in fact, my the fellow that helped me with the review in Quebec, uh, Christian Parody, said, um, I, I think it's one of the great lines is that if you build an in-ground pool, sometimes you don't go to the cottage. <laughs> right. and, and to me, it's a great analogy of that. Um, but I think they built the studio knowing that COVID pandemic, would it, would you be able to travel or would you be, or, uh, you know, where could you travel? Uh, but once uh, it opened up in many of the provinces, certainly you should take advantage of that and see as many people as you possibly can on the tour. Um, did you talk at all about or look at all um, at what happened in the West, what happened on the prairies anyway? Because uh, typically, the, you know, that, that's the stronghold. That's the bedrock for the Conservative Party. And you saw some erosion there uh, in the last election. And uh, was there any discussion as to, as to what happened with, you know, our typical bedrock base of support and why they may have left uh, in, in some degree anyway? Yeah, we looked at the data, and particularly for the Conservatives in, in Western Canada, they saw a decrease in popular vote and saw a slight gain in popular vote in Eastern Canada. Uh, and there's a combination of factors with that. There was the growth of the PPC party. Uh, there was the growth of the, particularly in Alberta, there was the growth of the NDP party. If you look at specifically the Edmonton Centre, you'll see that Edmonton Centre had a significant increase in NDP vote. Um, and a small increase in PPC vote and uh, erosion of uh, the Conservative vote. So there's a variety of factors in there. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, what, um, and this is not specific to the report, but I can tell you what I heard at the door, is that people were upset with the pandemic, with how governments had handled it. You know, it's interesting, and I listened to your show, Shay, that were, you know, the the public is upset. Like, they're... You know, you've got extremes on one side and extremes on yep, the other side. And, and I would tell you, you've got, I'm sure your show's like this, you've got a lot of angry people. Very. And, and I think what they're looking for is some adults in the room, in the room to turn off, turn down the rhetoric, and they're looking for responsible decisions from government. They're just looking for good, practical uh, decisions, and they want some common sense coming back into the equation instead of torquing everything in every direction. And we see a lot of torquing right now. You'll see that in Ottawa with the truckers. Uh, and just the the environment right now is just so torqued up. Yeah, uh, And it's unfortunate because what it does, it divides us rather than brings us together. And there's lots of things we agree on. You and I could probably spend an hour talking about things we agree on, but we could also disagree on some things. And that's that's democracy. But we should really take the, you know, take the rhetoric down a bit, and I think that's what people are looking for. James, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I, I talk about that a lot. You know, we, we, we give so much time, energy, and space to the fringes, and, and as you say, this is on either side. You've got people that are angry all over the place, right? All the way, it's almost like a circle. doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Somebody is angry, um, but the majority of us live in the middle um, where we're, we're not as, you know, as partisan and tribal as some of the people that grab all the attention. But but the issue, though, 
And I think this is something that I wanted to ask you about is taking a look at, you know, you mentioned the PPC. They will gravitate to that. They will, they recognize that that is motivated and energetic support and they will siphon it up. Um, there are some conservative MPs who do. So, I mean, that pull, that pull to that, that force within Canadian politics right now, it, it's strong, James. How does the conservative party need to navigate that going into the next election, which could be as little as a year and a half or two years away? Well, Shay, in in reviewing this and hearing from so many people across Canada, I, I would I would tell you this that there are thousands upon thousands of voters that don't affiliate with any specific party. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people out there who just want good public policy uh, that demonstrates what are you going to do? How will it affect me? How will it improve my life? How will I get back to normal? How will I be able to put food on the table? That's the sort of things that they're looking for. And they don't run around buying a membership to the Liberal Party or to the Conservative Party or to the NDP. They're just, you know, hardworking people. They're worried about what the future looks like. And that's where I think the Conservative Party uh, can focus on is what does the future look like and, and how will you put forward policies that, if, that impact my life uh, and uh, make it better for future generations. And I think that's what the compelling case that people want. Um, I look at, you know, I've got, when I ran, I had, you know, lots of supporters and a lot of people who give me money and their time, but they weren't necessarily members of, of the Conservative Party, but they would believe in, in probably in me yep. and, and, and what, what, what I was telling them that I was going to do for them. And I, and I think that's what people want. That's what they want. That's when I say some adults in the room, let's tone it down, and let's start talking about what the future looks like because people are, are concerned. They're very worried, and, and you hear it on your show every day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So um, I guess the last one for me is the, the, the constant push and pull within conservative politics in this country. And this isn't, this isn't uh, unique to the, the federal conservatives. We see it happen over and over again provincial, provincially with the conservative parties, uh, the various different parties that we've had. How detrimental is that? Did you look at that? How important is it to be able to put that infighting um, behind you, or at least keep it behind closed doors, deal with that push and pull within the party itself? How detrimental is it? Well, firstly, I think diversity of opinion is important. And I think that anytime you're trying to make policy or decisions, that it's good to have groups that are able to have those discussions in an open environment. But that said, then once you've come up with something, this internal infighting that you would see serves nobody excepting the opposing parties. Right. And, and that, that is not healthy for a party. That's not healthy for a movement. You know, frankly, uh, my background is business, as you know, Shay, and that's not healthy for business. So I use the example, if your team has decided that you're going to build a certain structure downtown and here's the pricing and blah, 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 and someone on the team says, well, I completely disagree with the decision. But once you walk out the door, you're selling whatever you're selling. That's right. And then that one person comes out and says, I didn't agree with this decision. It's a horrible decision. I'd never buy a condo in that development because they're too expensive. Yeah. Well, how does that work? Exactly. Yeah, I mean... So, it, so that, I, that's the hard reality is that, you know, you at some point you've got to be united in your messaging and... And quite frankly, that's what Canadians want to hear, too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, James, uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to chat with you again. Yeah, you too. That is James Cumming. Talking about Spotify 
and the, and the spot they find themselves in. Um, so to talk about that, we are going to uh, bring in now Eric Alper, who is, well, he's all things music. He's a music columnist. He's a writer. He's a host on Sirius XM. He, he's a music expert. Would that be fair, Eric? Um, yeah. Yeah. How about, how about the guy that just, you know, is so happy to talk to people like you. So my wife doesn't have to listen to me talk about this in the house. You've got to be talking to somebody about it. So it might as well be us. We appreciate it, Eric. Um, this, this, this whole situation with Spotify, of course, they spent a truckload of money to get exclusive rights to Joe Rogan, right? That's step one in this process. Right. So they paid Joe Rogan $100 million over five years for him to have his Joe Rogan Experience podcast exclusively on Spotify. And the reason they did that is because Joe Rogan is incredibly successful. His podcast is an absolute media monster, right? Oh, yeah. You know, if you were to tell me... 15 years ago that the guy from news radio and fear factor and then the (laughs) MMA commentator would probably be one of the most valued and trusted resources for um, a disease stripling the entire planet. I would probably want to take the same drugs that you were on. Um, But that's what happens when money is the most important thing, and it should be in most businesses, is that he brings a absolute huge amount yeah. of new subscribers, like somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 40, 50 million subscribers, specifically to Spotify at $10 each. You know, Spotify ends up with a pretty good deal when you come to think of it. Absolutely, they do. And uh, and now the problem, as you said, there's a lot of people very upset. Not you know, Joe. And, and I, I gotta I gotta take issue with something you said there. I don't think Joe has ever set out to be an expert on anything, and I don't oh, think no. he's ever thought his podcast would be some sort of authority on anything. In fact, he says, "I don't have a clue what the hell I'm talking about." I bring people on to talk about it. Um, Absolutely, you look. You know better than anybody else. You go do a one hour show, two hour show, three hour. Show shows there's probably stuff after you leave the office that just not in your brain going why did i say absolutely the the problem becomes is that i think if you were to catch joe rogan in his quietest moments he knows that hanging around the mma being a comedian on netflix you know you've got to create buzz you know it's a tough world out there to gather an audience and so i don't think he's maliciously um, calling for people to take horse pills or anything like that. All he's doing is really is what Spotify is doing. They're just letting people hear whatever side of the issue he feels like talking about today with no judgment, um, you know, uh, up to a certain point, and just letting the people decide. That's all Spotify wants to do. They want to have a platform where you can have Joe Rogan and you can have Michelle Obama. both on the same platform. And in fact, that's pretty much the entire world where you can have a cable system and have both CNN and Fox at your liking. And then you can decide with your wallet and your time which one you want to go for. The problem becomes is then it becomes bigger. It becomes artists standing up for what they believe in, and then audiences thinking that it could be censorship for calling on. Well, it would well, be. It would be, Aaron. Neil Young, you either get me or you get Joe Rogan, but not both. But yeah. that's not censorship. Censorship is essentially, you know, not having something being able to be accessible right. to the large majority of the people. Neil Young isn't saying that. He's just saying, look, you can have Joe Rogan on your podcast you, on, and on your platform. 
I just don't want to put my music. No, on I'm not saying what I'm not saying what Neil kind of followed suit. Yeah, no, I'm not saying what Neil is saying is censorship. But if it got to the point where Spotify said, "Okay, we're not going to provide our platform anymore." to Joe Rogan. Um, it basically would be drumming him off the platform, where it, which is his sole platform. So uh, there is a censorship component to if this went the other way. But but the bigger discussion here is now we've got Neil Young, we've got Joni Mitchell, we've got Nils Lofgren. Love them all. Yeah. Um, but they're punching way above their weight. And you cut, you admire them for taking a stand and, and, and sticking to their beliefs. But is that really going to have an impact on Spotify, do you think? Um, well, if you take a look at, I, I think, a little bit of miscommunication that the, about the, the headlines happening today with Spotify dropping in terms of stock, obviously there is a lot of cancelled subscribers to the platform. Um, but no, it would be, I think, you know, as, a, as a somebody who works with artists, it would be kind of interesting to see somebody under the age of 70 stand up for what right. they believe in when it comes to this issue. Um, but, you know, I don't fault a Justin Bieber, Billie Eilish, The Weeknd, Drake, Taylor Swift for not, might not wanting to take a stand. They make a lot of money yeah. through Spotify. And sometimes when you take a look at those numbers, Neil Young was getting 6 million streams a year. That's the equivalent of about $24,000 in terms of revenue. He can make that in just in t-shirt sales in one hour at his show. Joni Mitchell had less than that. She had actually 3 million um, listens every month. Um, so when you end up with that kind of numbers, you think, okay, so they might come from a different generation where you have to stand up and believe what you believe. Both Joni and Neil suffered from polio as children. Yep. They both have been friends for a long time. They believe in science. They believe in, in vaccination because they might not have been here. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts around here, but Spotify has long had a disclaimer on their platform, they have they already have a hate content and hateful conduct policy, which is that if you're a white supremacist rock band, you will be banned from the from the platform. If you divulge in misinformation and lies about the COVID vaccine killing people, you will be booted off the platform. But you can say that you know that Spotify has done the thing correctly, which is they now have a disclaimer which informs Joe Rogan's audiences if their guests have opinions contrary to the consensus of experts, right. scientists, the medical community, and the you know traditional correct news media outlets, which is what Twitter does, which is what Facebook does, which is what YouTube does. Where does this go, Eric? What's I mean, will we see more artists jump in on to this and will it like i it's not i don't think it's going to move spotify i mean like we said uh, joe rogan is he he's the he's the guy around spotify i mean that's where they're making the majority of their money right yeah, I, I think what it does is it leaves it open for the Eric and Shane duo to finally record Harvest and make some money, really. I mean, I don't even know if that's a possibility, but I think we should totally go for it. Where does it leave us? Absolutely nowhere. Um, it, nothing is yeah. really going to change. It's an amazing story to see what goes on in terms of business, stocks, artists standing up for what they believe in. And it'll be like this, I think, for another couple of days or so. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But absolutely, there is no chance that Joe Rogan leaves Spotify. Zero. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Eric, good stuff. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon. You bet. That's Eric Alper. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.